John Frederick is an artist, songwriter, and pastor. He serves as the pastor of Oak Street Church in Silverton, Oregon. John graduated from Oregon State University in 2017 with a Bachelor's of Science in Community Development. As an artist and pastor, John seeks to cultivate a rich interior life while inviting his friends and neighbors to do the same. Emphasizing love as the central theme of life, while consciously dismantling harmful beliefs within his religious tradition and his own experience. John has helped organize community art events in Silverton since 2012 and currently volunteers as an artist in residence at the Boreland Gallery with the Silverton Art Association. He performs music as Friend Maker and is currently recording an EP of folk songs entitled Balms. John's art practice is primarily interested in inner and outer landscapes, contemplative spirituality, our relationship and responsibility to the earth, and the importance of accessibility in both spirituality and art. He relies on observation, reflection, and humor in exploring these topics through plain air paintings and drawings, journal comics, songs, and whatever other medium he happens to be exploring at the moment. Hi, John. Hey, Morgan. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Where are you right now? I am in the office of Oak Street Church in Silverton, Oregon. Um, can you share with us a little bit about the place places you call home? Yeah. Uh, so I didn't grow up in Silverton. I grew up in Shoals, which is a more rural area. Uh, about an hour north, and I moved to Silverton right after high school. So I've been here for 16 years, I guess. So it's it's almost like being here my whole life. Uh, Silverton's a small uh, agricultural town with a decent art community and a lot of people who commute to the state capitol or up to Portland for different jobs. And uh, this area was the home of the Kalapuya and Malala people before uh, they were forced out of their homeland. Silverton is Oregon's garden city. And it, Silverton used to be a, a logging community. And it was one of the like foremost logging cities, definitely in the state, maybe in the nation at, at its time, at its peak. Uh, and so just the transformation from extraction to beautifying, even though that could be problematic in some ways, you know, uh, I think is really nice. We have this park that's just got these beautiful, mature fir trees and oak trees with a creek running through the middle of town. So I, that's that's some of my favorite um, aspects of this place. We're kind of nestled in between these hills. So Silverton feels even smaller than it is because it's just really compacted. And we're not too far from Silver Falls State Park, where you can go see 10 waterfalls in an afternoon. Mm. Yeah, it's watery there, huh? A lot of water, very green. Uh, you know, in the fall, winter, and spring, you deal with a lot of rain. But, you know, one time I moved away, actually, during the fall and winter, and I missed the rain. I went to Idaho. I was, it was more dry. 
and I realized I missed the rain. And when COVID hit, I decided that I didn't believe in bad weather anymore because you just couldn't, you know. So uh, I just got better boots and a better raincoat. And I would just go out and I found out that it didn't rain as much as I thought it did. Oftentimes I'd go out and it wouldn't be that bad. So it's a very watery place, but there's lots of room to to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, living in the mountains, we have a phrase, there's no bad weather, only inappropriate clothing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Probably, does it get pretty cold where you are? Oh, yeah. Okay, so maybe it might be more of a survival uh, thing on, on your end. <laughs> Here, it's like, worst case, you get a little wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this, we're high up, high up over here. Well, the subject I am most excited to explore with you in our conversation here today is that of spirituality. And I'm also really excited to discuss the intersection between spirituality and creativity. Tell us about your spiritual path and where did it begin for you? Yeah, so I I grew up uh, pretty much fundamentalist, conservative, evangelical Christian, reading the Bible in a particular way that's pretty constrained. And really seeing, uh, having, having beliefs about the Bible and how it was written, uh, that just kind of centered it and particular interpretations of the Bible as like the way to live and as the only way to live. And a lot of um, people would just make really strong statements and there wasn't room to question those statements. And uh, the church I spent most of my childhood at, right up through high school, was literally a Bible church. Uh, when I moved away, I moved to a small Christian summer camp where there had been a Bible college. So I, I was a camp counselor in the summer and I was a intern in the winters and a janitor, did a lot of toilet cleaning and leaf raking. And while I was in that environment, you know, on my own, I just encountered other people, people with different backgrounds. Uh, I didn't have a home church anymore, and so I started visiting churches and ended up at the church that I now pastor uh, in 2008. I went there with the idea that I was going to fix this church or help this church because I didn't perceive them as reading their Bibles enough. And when I got here, I felt felt like God said, which I know is a loaded statement, you're here these people are fine and you're here to learn how to love people and so that's what i've been doing for the last 15 years uh after we closed for about a year in covid and when we came back i realized i could kind of do whatever i wanted at, at the church and i introduced a time of sharing at the end of the service and i changed the chairs so that they weren't facing me but we were all facing each other it's kind of like a horseshoe and that's been just incredible. My goal in many ways is to make it so that I'm not needed. Because I think what happens with a lot of churches is you get this kind of personality cult. And uh, I just really believe that everyone has something to contribute. And that if we don't 
get those contributions were missing out. Who and what are some of your spiritual influences? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say one of the most pivotal authors for me uh, in the last maybe eight years uh, has been Thomas Merton, who was a contemplative Catholic monk. Uh, Someone recommended his book, New Seeds of Contemplation. And I've said to many people that reading that book saved my Christianity because he opened up uh, for me just this whole other way of being a Christian where really the idea of you you have this inner world and there's something to find in there. You can encounter encounter the divine. Um, And that paired with his talks about the false self and this person that we construct, that we all construct and we're good at it, that we want people to think we are. And that self is hollow and it doesn't exist. And he he says that it tries to exist outside of the will of God and nothing exists outside of the will of God. So it's, it can't, it's fake. Right. And the idea of contemplative Christianity or even I would maybe I just say contemplative spirituality because there's so many traditions is to find your true self and your true self is an expression of the love of God in the universe right and your true self is made to be loved and to love that's I think it so Merton was huge Merton led me to Richard Rohr speaking of non-dualistic uh views richard Rohr is even more accessible i think in some ways than merton and very influenced by merton uh along with that i have a friend uh chris who is one of the most well-read people that i've ever known and he loves books like truly truly loves books he used to run the poetry section up at powell's in portland and he would just give me all these books and some of them were the best books i've ever ever read so he got me reading the dhammapada uh had got me reading the even though i'd bought a copy at some point i don't know if i'd read it or really appreciated it as much the Tao ching and and the bhagavad-gita so in my journey in my spiritual journey growing up so immersed in christianity I feel like in some ways, uh, some of the stories and principles were ruined by familiarity. And it's been really uh, enriching to read spiritual books from other traditions, encounter some similar principles, but in language that's not familiar, in language that makes me sit with it a little longer or can can surprise me. So those have been big. I think, too, I, I would add, I had a friend recommend um bell hooks's will to change which is top five books i've ever read definitely and you know bell hooks as as i was told it um encountered thich Nhat han's teachings which really influenced her and um you can just feel the compassion because she's she's like a 
just a force of nature. She's she's just so powerful as a writer and so compassionate at the same time. And that uh, made a big impression on me. Okay, I have a really big question. What is love? What is love? What is love? I think, well, I think love is, I think God is love. I've started thinking of God as the benevolent unknown. That's just been helpful for me. And I I could just say that God is unknown, but I need God to be loving. So I need God to be benevolent. (laughs) I think that's just like, otherwise I'm not religious at all. I don't see a point. Um, I think love is enacted. I think it's something that takes place in our bodies, in the world. That's how we experience it. We feel it in our bodies and we express it with our bodies by caring for one another. Christianity, I think, just speaking from my tradition, gets so heady and theoretical and there's all these dogmas and and theologies and doctrines. And I'm not an expert in those things. Uh, I'm just a regular guy. And so we get we get up in this space and people focus on heaven or hell, which who's to say whether those exist. And they miss out on the tangible like aspect of it, where instead of worrying about all these things and making sure your beliefs are right, you could actually just love your neighbor and you could love your enemy and you could love yourself. And I think that's the powerful thing and the exciting thing about like my tradition is when people tune into that, it's transformative. It transforms lives and it transforms places. Um, it can, I think it could transform systems. Yeah, that sounds like for me the definition of embodiment. Mm-hmm. When something transforms from a belief into an action, right, mm-hmm. comes into form. Yeah. Is really that embodiment component. Yeah. Um, yes, this Christian love is very hospitable. It's, it's very generous. Yeah. yeah. The pastor yeah. before me told me one time that he thought if a pastor wasn't hospitable, they shouldn't be a pastor. Mm-hmm. So central to his understanding. And I've told people that even if I'm not a pastor uh, my whole life, which is possible, uh, I probably, to some degree, always will be one because the way I see pastoring is it's truly being friends with with everyone. Mm. So creating a culture of belonging. Belonging, uh, second chances, Mm. with boundaries and accountability, um, but really looking at someone who maybe has no friends and saying you can belong here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone who, who feels incredibly hurt or has always experienced religion in a way that was crushing and to say, you can belong here without that. We, we don't have to crush you for you to belong. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I've thought about this word love a lot because it's kind of complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of associate the word love with a feeling right. innately, but that feeling could be very different. For every individual. And so like when you're say in, in a 
committed partnership, right? Like a loving committed partnership. You come up against the reality that your feeling of love might be different than your partner's feeling of love. There's many books written on love languages, et cetera. So I've broken this down for myself a lot. Like, what is love? Like, it's sort of more of a bubble. Mm -hmm. I think of it as a bubble that encases a lot of things. And for me, specific practices or acts of meditative practices in particular, loving kindness, forgiveness, gratitude, and compassion are the things that kind of fit in that bubble. Um, And those are all things we do for other people, but also for ourselves, like you said. And yeah, so I think sometimes this word love is used so generally when it's more of an expansive experience, um, an inclusive experience. I think too, uh, love is complicated. People can act thinking they're being loving and not be loving at all. I think that love requires reflection and humility. Um, At one point, Jesus encourages his disciples to become like little children if they want to get into the, the, his whole thing is the kingdom of of God, right? This all, the whole kingdom of heaven. Uh, It's, it's kind of this inverted way of being in the world. That's not a hierarchical top-down empire like say rome or uh, a religious system like the one in jesus's day where poor people are really oppressed jesus is with and for marginalized people and he says to his students you got to become like little children and we were unpacking that a couple months ago and i said well being a little child you just make mistakes and that's what being a child is mm-hmm. And if you're in a healthy family you make mistakes in a safe environment and you learn that it's okay to take a chance. And if, when we're trying, so if we're trying to be loving, we have to accept that we can't control the outcome of our actions. And we have to accept that we might blow it. Mm-hmm. And if you do that enough, you maybe learn to start asking before you act, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also frees us up to have uh, bolder imaginations about what love could look like in our lives in the world uh can love be turned towards the more than human world can love be turned towards um someone who thinks they're my enemy towards my inner child whatever that looks like and it's uh we get to experiment and it's an exciting thing so ecology is, is something i think is really important in relation to spirituality i think maybe other spiritual traditions have done a better job of, of integrating um, an ecological, healthy ecological ethic into their traditions. Uh, Christianity has a lot to learn from other traditions, and I, I really feel like that conversation is being had, but not as widely as it should be had. Um, so even, but for me, even coming to uh, learn a little bit about the concept of evolution and to see. But while still being a spiritual person and to see the divine working as an artist, working um, in this messy way, 
where something evolves and then there's an extinction or uh, two species evolve side by side and one doesn't make it and one does, right? Uh, there's mistakes. There's room for error in the process of our world coming together to what it is today. Mm-hmm. So it's ridiculous, but understandable that we're, you know, we're so, we can be so perfectionistic and so worried about getting it right. And it paralyzes us. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we look at the world around us, you know, it's, it's thriving in relationship. Yeah, you mentioned this connection of ecology to spirituality to art. I was listening to your most recent album. What's the first song? It's the one from 2021. Is it the feel for herons becomes a feel for hawks? Yes. That's based on me driving past this field that had all these herons in it for like a year. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it was just always full of hawks. (laughs) (laughs) Very literal line. (laughs) I really like that song. Um, I know you're working on an album right now. Uh, Yeah. So actually, so it's interesting you mentioned that first song. I took the chords from that song and I expanded it into a full song with words. Uh, So that'll be on the CP. I heard an interview or read an interview with Glenn Hansard, uh, who a lot of people know from uh, his group, The Swell Season, uh, or The Frames, I guess. Um, I think it's The Frames. Is that right? Anyway, he in an interview, he was saying that, you know, it's kind of the easy thing to do in songwriting, especially popular songwriting, is to write heartache and write sad stuff. And he was trying to put just a little hope in his songs, just a little bit. And that I read that maybe 10 years ago. And I thought about it a lot in my songwriting. It's so easy for me to be dramatic and to write a good, sad song. And I love a good, sad song. It's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But this EP uh, kind of originally was conceived as a, it was going to be a, kind of two EPs, Balms and Abrasions. And then I was just like, I don't really want to do the abrasions thing. I just want to focus on these kind of healthier songs. So there's six songs. They kind of focus on, well, I call them journal songs. That's the kind of songs I write. They're folky. They cross a lot of different genre boundaries, I think, just within kind of folk and and lo-fi and a little bit of folk rock, some psychedelic elements. Um, But they're a little funny at times their reflections on life one song's just about doing plein air painting in the coast range running with a friend wondering about the future another one is about kind of the dissolution dissolution of everything that you know all, all the lies that i've told are going to come to light and anything i thought said that i thought was true is gonna have to be taught by somebody else and um, and then I use a line or adapted from the Bhagavad Gita. I, I am not born. I do not die. Uh, there's another one that is about, about the inner life. There's a prison inside of you that you can escape. There's a mountain inside of you that you can climb. Um, and then that song kind of morphs and I'm actually talking about camping and, and feeling lonely and, there's a song about my friend's child and 
it's humorous, you know, he's making new friends and making new smells. And also he's a new wave in this ocean of existence with uncountable ancestors breathing oxygen that was created thousands of years before he existed, right? I mean, isn't that how most of the oxygen on the earth works? It's actually been accumulating. It's not all fresh. Um, and then the, the final song on the album is well, actually, no, there's one other song that's about uh, saying goodbye to the ego and the false self and how no one's going to miss those constructs when we really get down to it. And then the final song on the album is about the shift from existing in a in a construct that makes everyone happy, you think, but doesn't make you happy. And then you kind of realize it doesn't make anybody happy anyway. And it kind of ends with this just insistent, like, I'm alive. And this is just, I've been working with this producer friend of mine, Jack Munster who's awesome and uh we've just got a really full sound that that feels good and feels celebratory yeah i had this thought i was on a walk and i thought if i don't get to die like peacefully on on my deathbed you know like which is how i think most of us hope to go if i if not that and if the circumstances were just right, like if I could just be on this walk and a mountain lion just like jumped out of a tree and I died instantly, that would be an awesome way to go. Just like <laughs> as this thought of like belonging to the earth and, you know, this idea that um, not everything is food for me. Sometimes I'm food for something else, you know, that idea like. Uh, and for some reason, I've connected that thought to this just insistent, like, I'm alive, but I'm alive for a moment, you know, and it's just like, this, it's beautiful, I'm present, I want to be present. And it's fleeting, and, uh, you know, the world is always ending and always beginning again. This album sounds great. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited to listen to it. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of like a almost like a, a journey it's been fun having like some themes and and things uh from other places come out you know that's why i think journal songs is an appropriate way to describe it because it's you know in there there's books i've been reading and conversations i've been having and and then the execution is collaborative it's mostly my friends singing and playing with me and um yeah so that's it's been really fun to put together and i'm really excited to have it out in the world when will that happen i'm not sure but hopefully before- <laughs> no urgency is necessary <laughs> that's one of the hardest things about being a creative person isn't it is mm. you kind of want to get the work out there but it has its own timeline yeah and i get impatient for sure mm-hmm. me too you said heartache is easy comedy is not that's mm. true, especially comedy that um, isn't self-deprecating or self-harmful, mm. which speaks to your comics, the comic illustrations you make. I think that sometimes my comics can be a little self-deprecating. I think, <laughs> I think my comics are really uh, influenced by poetry, 
And so the poets I really enjoy, you know, Mary Oliver, you know, I think they are influenced by poetry. I think that uh, journal comics, again, just like journal songs, it's trying to sit in a, in a moment with something I'm thinking about or learning or experiencing. Uh, and so I, I've been told some, by a friend at one point, oh, your comics could use a little levity. That'd be kind of nice. Um, so I try to have a little more fun with it sometimes. Um, I think, too, that comedy is this really powerful tool for uh, hospitality and for belonging. Uh, to be a pastor that makes jokes and doesn't take himself or his work too seriously makes room for people who are a little shy or a little traumatized to be themselves and to be human. Uh, I think art that's accessible, that is lighthearted, can be powerful. And I think that you can have comedy in existence or humor in existence with serious matters, too. Uh, Think about when you go to a memorial service for a loved one, there will be tears and there should be tears and there will be laughter. And you can't have those, you can't have one without the other. Because when you're remembering someone you love, that's what's going to happen. You miss them, and you're also going to tell a story about something hilarious that they did, something that made you laugh. So I think those are two really powerful things that don't have to be at odds with each other. I think that humor opens things up. Absolutely. My favorite films, uh, television shows books are those that that skillfully integrate the heartache and the comedy (laughs) have you been Um, watching i know this is maybe not appropriate for this but have you been watching reservation dogs have you seen i actually thank you for reminding me i've only seen one episode and i loved it and then i keep being like i need to go back to that that show Um, made me cry so much but also laugh so much it's maybe the best uh, handling of grief that I've ever seen, like on a, in my opinion, on, in like a show. I'm a big um, film and television lover. Sweet. I mean, when I when I went to conservatory uh, undergrad art school, I was an acting major, um, and a with a dance emphasis. So, really? wow. Um, and I acted for quite a bit, actually, professionally in Chicago before transitioning into teaching dance full time. So, so yeah, can't help it. Love film, <laughs> love yeah. television. It's kind of my, my weakness, like oh. the addiction of choice. Um, I might say, um, I'm thinking also of the comic, the stand up comic, Hannah Gatsby. Do you know her? Yeah, oh my gosh. Is that? Yes. Yeah. She did Nanette, and then it's actually the the Douglas, her comedy show on Netflix, that is following up on Nanette. That is like mind blowing because her whole thing is she does get a little self deprecating at times, but overall her goal is to to make a really great show that's not built on self deprecation, and it's just amazing. Like wow. she's hilarious, and she's an art historian. So um, in the in the show, Douglas, 
like she's just giving art history like a big critique and it's it's pretty good um okay i have a really important question what is a night salad (laughs) a night salad is a joke i (laughs) literally i decided to be i wanted to be healthier a couple years ago i still want to be healthier so i guess that's continuing uh and as part of that, I just decided I was going to eat a lot of salads, a lot of big salads. So I got like a mixing bowl that I would just fill up with assorted produce uh, every night or every other night. I don't do it as often as I would like to, but it continues to be a part of my life. And then uh, as a way to laugh at, at at social media and at myself a little bit and just to pretend to be an influencer, I guess. I just started posting my night salads with the hashtag night salad. Uh, and what started as a joke became something really fun. And it just kind of, uh, by playing with the concept, it made it easier to say, oh, I'm going to make a big salad for dinner tonight, even though what I want is a big burger or whatever. Uh And then because of that, some people have like, will send me pictures of their salads from time to time which i love and it's even had me thinking like dang should i have a salad food card or like is there a way to like make night salad part of my life in a more permanent way i don't know uh but it's again just joy accessibility a little bit of humor i'm a huge mary oliver fan as well so i read her book on writing poetry i don't know if you've ever read that a poetry handbook. Is is it pretty good? Yeah, it's technical. Mm. The parts about it I love the most are her are not technical. <laughs> <laughs> I want to find something here. In the intro, she talks about how poems, but you could apply this to all art and spiritual practice too, must be written in emotional freedom Mm. but also that you have to show up for it like you have to show up for your practice and she writes um about artistic practice but for mary oliver was definitely spiritual practice too um is something you have to show up on time regularly for And she says, if you are reliably there, it will begin to show itself. Soon it begins to arrive when you do. But if you are only there sometimes and are frequently late or inattentive, it will appear fleetingly or it will not appear at all. Why should it? It can wait. It can stay silent a lifetime. Who knows anyway what it is, that wild, silky part of ourselves without which no poem can live. Yeah. I sometimes lead uh, the music time at at my church. And I don't really connect with that most of the time. That's it's not, I feel more worshipful in on a hike, in a walk, you know, mm-hmm. sitting by a creek. But I define worship oftentimes as paying attention and responding thinking of thinking of that emotional freedom so i can pay attention 
to my life or to something I'm seeing in the world or something I'm feeling, and I can react honestly. I'm seeing this and I'm angry. I'm seeing this and I'm hurt. And I think that if we have a more expansive idea of God, that that's welcome, right? That we're put in this existence to pay attention and to respond and to feel what we what we feel when it comes up. Emotional freedom is such an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. She talks about imitation too, like imitating mm-hmm. others or what's the... Yeah, I'll read it to you. It's actually really great. You would learn very little in this world if you were not allowed to imitate and to repeat your imitations until some solid grounding in the skill was achieved and the slight but wonderful difference that made you you and no one else could assert itself. Mm-hmm. Every child is encouraged to imitate, but in the world of writing, it is originality that is sought out and praised while imitation is the sin of sins. Too bad. I think if imitation were encouraged, much would be learned well that it is now learned partially and haphazardly. Before we can be poets, we must practice. Imitation is a very good way of investigating the real thing. Wow. It's play. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. We talked about kind of the role of spirituality in our lives, but what do you think the role of an artist is just in general what's the role of an artist it could be maybe like what do you feel like your role as a creative person is yeah i i think that uh my pastoring is informed by me being an artist uh i think being an artist, uh, I'm more inclined to towards experimentation, towards trying something new, towards asking questions. Especially if you if you're a visual artist, well, probably any artist, you got to really let go of the outcome because you've got a vision in mind. But I don't know anyone who really executes it just like they see it. So I think that informs uh, pastoring. I think creativity is really helpful when we're trying to envision a new way of being and creativity invites us what invites us to say who isn't here who could be here what would that look like i think some artists can be prophets in the sense of uh, telling the truth to systems and, and speaking up for oppressed and marginalized groups of people and the oppressed people that are within us Mm-hmm. Um, because my art practice is oftentimes so inward facing, I don't want it to become selfish or to become, I even read something, I can't, I can't quote it to you, but it was something James Baldwin was talking about how a lot of, a lot of white, uh, artists or writers are so selfish, selfishly focused that it's no good to anybody because it's just all on them in this kind of gross way. And I think being reflective is good, but I don't want to sink into that, um, you know, kind of navel gazing, just like self obsessed sort of thing. So I'm I'm interested in in how my art can can expand. I think, you know, I think this idea of inner and outer landscapes and and these kind of belo- belonging 
to the earth as part of the earth. I think those things are good. Recently, I had an unhoused friend die uh, very terribly. And he was a wonderful and remarkable person uh, that most people wouldn't get to know. And there would be barriers to them getting to know him. And I'm interested in using art to invite a change of attitude towards the unhoused community so that they become just our friends who live outside. So we can see ourselves in other people and uh, hopefully make some systemic changes to meet people's needs. So I'm really interested in that. I think that. Well, so a year ago, I, I dropped out of art school and started joined a joined a songwriter group in Portland. And I realized that these songs that I'd been writing and and playing in my house for myself and maybe for a couple of friends, that there was people who I hadn't met who liked them, and that there was an opportunity to play shows and um, work with other people, and it was really exciting. It's been exciting to be processing that. And I, th- I'm wondering if there's an element of that with my art, where it's been so, such a like a contemplative practice or such a meditative thing to do, and it's so enriching for my daily life. And also, is there a possibility that that can expand out and uh, join the community, and I, I can kind of let it off the leash a little bit and see where it goes. So I'm interested in exploring those things and seeing where where art might drag me. Yeah. Music for me is the highest form of art. You know, I'm not a musician, but I'm, I'm a dancer and I don't think I'd be a dancer if it wasn't for music. You know, music inspires me to dance and to make dances. And yeah, it's, it's the, the form of art that just takes you right into something Mm. the fastest. And I think some of that has to do with it being about listening right? Like listening is this embodied act of going in and seeing is this act of taking in or looking out. So yeah, if it makes complete sense that your values for community would surface in music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And spirituality too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's fun. The more you think about it, you realize how tied together so many things are and how uh, just your approach to one thing might just transcend that thing. And, you know, the way you're, the way I'm an artist, the way I'm a pastor, hopefully the way I'm a friend, hopefully those things are in harmony with each other. Um, yeah. It's been nice playing music under the name friend maker, just because it's built in then this idea that I want to be a friend, you know, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to make friends. Uh, and hopefully the same is true with my spirituality. And that's hopefully that's the constant is making more relationships. Perfect. That's the perfect place to end. That's sweet. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. This was awesome. <laughs>